I'm Sophia Williams from California and welcome to episode 13 of Sophia Searches the World. Today I'm joined with New Zealander Mark Sainsbury who used to run a new show called Close Up. Hi Sophia, it's a pleasure to be here. For those of you who don't know, New Zealand is a little group of islands off the coast of Australia. (laughs) Not exactly, but we'll go with that. Alright, so today we're going to dive into a little bit of controversial New Zealand history and talk about the famed Springboks tour that took place in 1981. Ah yes, I remember it well. So from what I understand, New Zealand almost went into a civil war over this. You could say that. It's probably the closest we've ever come. In America, we aren't that good at rugby and I'm struggling to understand how one minor tour could have created such widespread controversy. Well, you see, it wasn't about the game of rugby itself, it was the fact that the South African team was coming to New Zealand to play. Many New Zealanders disagreed with the way black people were treated in South Africa, and there has been ongoing tension for some time between our country and theirs. Just like you Americans are crazy about gridiron, in New Zealand, rugby could almost be described as a religion across the country. As a nation, we live and breathe rugby union and have had one of, if not the best rugby teams in the world for a long time. For being a little country that no one really knows about, we get put on the map because of rugby and we are immensely proud of it. You say the way black people were treated. What do you mean by this? Well, in South Africa at the time, there was a system called apartheid operating. It started in 1948 and wasn't abolished until the early 1990s, after almost 40 years in practice. So what is apartheid exactly? Apartheid split South Africa into four racial groups, black, coloured, Asian and white. Anyone who wasn't white was seen as inferior and were restricted from doing many things black people were treated worst of all. For example, a white person was not allowed to have relationships with a non-white person. Laws were put in place to force non-whites to carry documents on them at all times to authorise their presence in restricted areas. Also, to limit contact between the races, there were separated facilities put in place, purely for non-whites. These were often worse and more spread out than those for the whites, similar to how it was in America for the blacks. Ah yes, those were some dark days. Okay, so New Zealand didn't approve of South Africa treating their non-whites in such that way. But how does this relate to rugby? Well, of course with such restrictions in place, it also meant the rugby team was made up of white people only. New Zealanders could handle this, but it started to hit close to home when the All Blacks would go over to South Africa to tour. In New Zealand, we have a lot of Māori and Pacifica people that we embrace and treat as equals, and some of our star players were not white. But when going to South Africa, these players couldn't play. To fit into South Africa's guidelines, the All Blacks had to drop people out of their team in order to play. One of the main names from their period was George Nepia. In 1928, he was dropped from the New Zealand team, even though he was the best player and part of the Invincibles, the all-black team that never lost a game. Purely because of his skin colour, he was not permitted to play. That doesn't seem very fair. No, it isn't, and half of New Zealand thought so too. Family was split in two as half the country wanted them to play and half didn't. Is that what started this incident back in New Zealand? 
Well, it definitely fueled it. On the 12th of September 1980, the chairman of the New Zealand Rugby Football Union, NZRFU, says Blasey, formally invited the South African rugby team to tour in New Zealand. This was opposed by many of the New Zealand public, but says Blasey and the other half of New Zealand believed that rugby and politics should not mix. The organisation that ran protests during this time was called HART, standing for Halt All Racist Tours. They encouraged anyone who was opposed to the games being played, who saw it as an acceptance of the way that the white people of South Africa treated the others, should protest. It was seen as if South Africa came to play, New Zealand approved of the way non-whites treated the other races. The two sides split the country in half, split family members and friends apart. There was no middle ground. You were either there for the rugby or trying to make a change in the world by standing up for mistreated non-whites across the world. Did they ever manage to play a game or was it all fizzled out before it could start? Oh no, they most definitely got to play games. The first was on the 22nd of July 1981 in Gisborne. This is where both sides, supporters and protesters, met for the first time face to face. South Africa won this game like they did most of the games they ended up playing, but it really put into perspective the lengths New Zealanders would go to to show what they believed in and show what South Africa was doing back home was wrong. So what happened next? Well, three days later they were scheduled to play at Hamilton against Waikato, but that game didn't go ahead. Tensions between those who believed in the tour and those who didn't were growing, and the protesters decided to take matters into their own hands. Several hundred anti-tour supporters stormed onto the field and stood in the middle of the pitch in front of a full rugby park. It was all too much for authorities and police to handle, and could have resulted in serious injury or death for some of the protesters, so the game was called off. This was a big eye-opener for the people watching from different countries as they could see how much the civilians of New Zealand were willing to do to create peace between different races, just like New Zealand could do for the most part. Coverage of the tour was shown across the world and it was starting to make people second guess how we view non-whites. Wow, yikes, these people really believed that what they were doing was right and wanted the world to know about it. Yeah, definitely. This continued to show as the tour progressed. On the 29th of July, the protesters decided they would take things to a new height. They marched up Molesworth Street. They protested in front of Parliament and they reaped the consequences for their bravery. For the previous protests, they didn't wear much protection at all. On this day, they were the same. They were not expecting what came. The protesters met with police on the road and for the first time the police used violence on the protesters. They used short batons to whack people on the head and arms to try and stop them from continuing up the road. After this night many people went home with injuries because of the surprise attack the police had unleashed. Yeah that's right, I remember hearing about Wellington Hospital flooded with people that night. It seems the police were quite brutal. Is this a normal thing in New Zealand? They were brutal, which isn't normal, but you've got to consider where they were coming from. These were angry people marching at Parliament. Rob Muldoon, the Prime Minister of New Zealand at the time, wasn't doing much in the way to help either side. He said, protesters can protest peacefully and players can play. It would be up to the NZRFU to call off the tour. 
The police on this day were just trying to protect themselves and the Prime Minister and also most of them were fresh out of police college. There was such high demand for the police to be on guard across the country, they had to turn to brand new recruits to help stop the protesters. These were scared young men and women who were inexperienced and unprepared for the number of people who turned up that day. What happened next? On the 15th of August, the South African team met with the All Blacks for the first time. The previous games had been against provincial teams, but now they were coming to the business end of the tour. It was played in Christchurch and was again met with much protest, this time with much more protection against the police. The All Blacks won this game 14-9, but it was reported by police that it was sheer luck no one died that day. This would have sent a huge message across the world for those watching. Oh yeah, definitely. Across the world they could see that New Zealanders were putting their lives on the line. Although some could say they went a bit over top, they were standing up for what they believed in and they believed in black and white equality across the world. The people of South Africa were treated like animals if they were not white. They were the lesser race and it was very obvious. The way they were treated during the days of apartheid was almost unfathomable for those in New Zealand. In those days, New Zealand was nowhere near perfect when it came to racial equality, but they were moving in the right direction. We accepted the Māori people as part of our own and fought beside them when needed. A small country of New Zealand, which is so, so far away from everywhere else, so isolated from other countries in uproar, about what was going on all those thousands of kilometres away really helped the rest of the world to see what was happening was wrong and big changes need to be made. We have to remember it was quite hard for a lot of the protesters because rugby is such a huge part of New Zealand. It's a religion. For people to be protesting to stop the game was a huge thing but these people believed more in the abolishment of apartheid and equality across the world than watching rugby. It was a hard thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. I mean, imagine being in that situation. What would you do? But still the tour went on. Yeah, it did. The next game was held at Athletic Park in Wellington on the 29th of August. The Springboks won this game quite convincingly. The score 24-12, squaring the competition with one win each. Like previous games, protests erupted all over the country in an effort to call off the game. 7,000 people gathered around Wellington, blocking motorways and pedestrian access into the stadiums to prevent supporters from going to watch. Police were forced to create human barriers to help let the rugby supporters through, which created much spread unrest and controversy. Both supporters and protesters resorted to violence this day, forcing the police to return to using their batons as a defence against themselves and to stop the people from getting killed. This protest was televised across the country so all of New Zealand could see what the public of Wellington was doing. So the next game was the decider. There would have been a lot of pressure for the All Blacks to win to help the cause just a little. There was. Luckily, they did win the game. It came down to a penalty goal, but the All Blacks secured the win 25-22. This game, though, was one no one will ever forget. The game they said all hell broke loose. Protests outside the field were worse than they had been. The rule book had been chucked out the window. 
Protesters and police fought throughout the streets across the country. Much more protection, much more aggravation and much more damage. People, protesters and police alike were hospitalised after this dark day. On the field, it was a whole different kettle of fish. A man by the name of Marks Jones took matters into his own hands and flew a small plane over the field, dropping smoke bombs and flower bombs, disrupting the game and the players. One of the flower bombs landed on the all-black prop Gary Knight. He was dazed for a while, but in those days you just kept playing. Thanks to the injury time it caused, New Zealand was able to take the win, but all in all it was a very messy day and a day that will go down in history. Wow, that's intense. So did all this amend to something or was it a lost cause? It did. The protests in New Zealand and the coverage around the world saw what little insignificant was doing hit hard. Apartheid came to an end in the 1990s, almost 10 years after the tour. But New Zealand had had a significant impact on the beginning of the end. Nelson Mandela had said it was like a light had been turned on when he found out that they were not alone in their struggle, that they had support from halfway across the world and one day things would get better. New Zealand almost went into a civil war over this, but in the long run it was worth it. There are still today some tensions between protesters and supporters, but for the most part, the country has returned to the way it was. Wow, so it was like a light at the end of the tunnel for those suffering in South Africa under the white rule. You must be quite proud to be part of such a movement. Definitely, although I hope it doesn't have to happen again. Of course, once was enough. I think we can all agree it was very sobering to listen to such a story about bravery and equality. Now we can all take a step back and make sure we are doing everything we can to embrace different cultures and races around us. Thank you so much for telling us the story of your country. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be able to pass the torch onto the next generation and educate them on the dark past to prevent it from happening in the future. Bye. Bye. Well, that concludes today's episode of Sophia Searches the World. Tune in next week. We go to to Japan and discover more about the tragic bombings during World War II.